They said it wouldn't last, and they said that you can't drive profitable and incremental revenue through the affiliate channel. But here we are, 20 years later, and the affiliate channel is alive and kicking and generating profitable revenue for thousands of retailers across the globe. Hi, I am Jamie Birch, your host of the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast, where we talk to some of the industry's best and brightest about their careers, about leadership, and about how to drive profitable revenue through the affiliate channel. All right, this is Jamie Birch, CEO and founder of JEB Commerce, and welcome to this episode of the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast. Today, I have the unique pleasure and honor to interview a longtime friend, John Toski. Uh, John is currently the Senior Director of Global Marketing at eBay, uh, and it doesn't get any bigger than that. So before I give an intro to him and the episode, uh, just want to talk to you about uh, JEB. In previous podcasts, we talk about some of the, the strategy uh, services that we can provide as well as a 19-step uh, document that outlines uh, tips and, and strategies that you can take right now to position your company. Uh, but I also wanted to showcase, if you're looking for help with your affiliate program, I wanted to showcase one of the steps we, uh, we have available to you uh, in our six-step client success map, and that is our profitability roadmap. So with what we do, everyone's really talking about, and not just talking, you need to know that your affiliate program is driving profitable sales. So we work with you and your business analytics team to make sure we know what is a profitable sale. Is it incremental, nudophile? Uh, how are you measuring uh, what profitability is in other channels and really fine tuning what profit is in your affiliate channel and then taking that concept that we developed together and measuring all your affiliates that way. It's a really unique process that ensures that your affiliate program is going to be profitable with every single sale. So if you'd like more information on that, you'd like to hear about step four of our client success roadmap, the profitability roadmap, then please just let us know. You can contact me directly at gethelp at jebcommerce.com, or you can set up a free 15 minutes to go over that by going to calendly.com slash Jamie Birch. All right, so let's introduce John Toski and this episode. So John started in 1996. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we had internet that long ago. Uh, but John has worked at advertisers such as uh, greater good and drugstore.com and Blue Nile. Uh, I met John when he was at the database group uh, working for one of the most interesting and, and kind men uh, that I've ever met, uh, uh, Mitch, and you know, rest in peace. We miss you, buddy. Uh, and then he moved on to a series of pretty awesome roles uh, at eBay, the eBay Partner Network. He worked in publisher development. So when we're talking today, who we're talking today is uh, someone who knows all the ins and outs of affiliate marketing, has worked on every side uh, of this sector, and he also manages all the other digital marketing for eBay. So one of the things we talk about in this episode is how does the affiliate channel fit 
within that? How do you make budgetary decisions for the affiliate channel? Uh, and how does it operate within these, these other channels? Uh, and so there's really some compelling stuff. It's a phenomenal uh, conversation. I learned a ton. I took six pages of notes and I'm going to be going back through those listening to this podcast. But why don't we stop listening to me jabber on and just dive right into the episode? All right, John, thank you for joining the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast. I uh, have been really excited uh, to talk to you. What's funny, as I always get nervous for these things, and we're old friends, so I shouldn't be. Uh, Hopefully you're not, but welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jamie. It's nice to be here with you. I was looking through your LinkedIn, and a lot of times I've been in the industry the longest on these podcasts. Uh, That is not the case here. You have a long and storied history uh, in affiliate marketing, uh, dating all the way back to, I think, 96 in digital. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's funny. Um, my, my first job out of college, my first real job out of college was working for a company that's still in business called, uh, zones. They did a Mac zone and PC zone catalog. Oh yeah. Yeah. People, mm-hmm. I, I, I doubt they still publish the catalog, but, um, they launched a CompuServe mall in 96 and then quickly decided to build up their own e-commerce site. So, um, yeah, that was back back at the beginning and it's uh, been pretty amazing to see the last 20 plus years. Well, it's, it's rare that we get to have someone on the show uh, that dates back to the beginning of our channel. <laughs> Very much so. You know, there's always an argument of uh, when did this start? When did affiliate marketing start? And I think the earliest one was right around 96. So super cool to have your perspective uh, on this. And we go way back, I think, all the way to the database uh, group uh, days. And I even think um, we started our families around the same time. Uh, yeah. How many kids do you have now? How old are they? Are they off on their own lives uh, already? I, no, I've got one son. His name's Dean. And he's in the other room playing Minecraft or Roblox with his <laughs> friends. He's, he's 11, so he's not quite ready to leave yet. Uh, but awesome. he, he makes a good pizza and crafts things on tables and stuff. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, I started a little earlier. I have a, uh, my oldest are 24 and 20, um, and they are out of the house. And it can be a wonderful thing when that happens. He, he can probably hear me, so I'll, I'll be quiet about that. <laughs> well, uh, I also have one at home probably right now playing Minecraft uh, and Roblox as well. Um, but talk to me about, you know, for those that don't know you, you, you know, you, you started in, in 96 uh, when, you know, e-commerce was, you know, just just beginning. Um, and, and then you're, you've, you've been uh, in-house in advertisers and some really well-known, run some phenomenal programs. Uh, and, and then, you know, you switched and uh, went to an affiliate uh, so walk us through your career path. What were some of the big pivotal moments? And and I'd also like to explore, like, how how was that transition from advertiser to affiliate back to advertiser? Yeah, you know, it's to to your point, it's it's been um, it's it's been a, a long road all of a sudden. And um, I'd say the big big pivots were um, again to age myself was just the the boom in the mid to late nineties and. Um, you know, I'm just fortunate enough to have grown up in the Seattle area, and there was lots and lots of opportunity, lots of venture capital, lots of Microsoft money, um, 
pouring into businesses. Um, and at that time, I, I worked for a small startup called greatergood.com, which was um, funded by Madrona Ventures here in Seattle. And um, it was things were just it, things were crazy. And I remember sitting down with um, a gentleman by the name of Paul Goodrich, who's one of the major investors, and he was going through some of the numbers we put together. And he said, I don't understand how you can acquire customers for $100. He said, you're never going to make any money. But this is what everybody's doing. Like this is what you have to pay to, to compete. And he he it was his money. Um, and so we didn't end up doing that. But we blew through you know twenty million dollars plus in a couple of years. And um, and like a lot of other companies, uh, I was unceremoniously laid off at the end of the decade. So that was that was just a very interesting. Um, time and and to kind of build things back up and at that point i went and worked uh, for drugstore.com uh, which was doing okay um, they actually laid off 60 something people the day before my first day oh, which wow. is a, a difficult uh, scene to walk into <laughs> hi um, my first day how's everybody doing yeah but you know what it was a really good really good growing moment like you know you realize um how the world works and the role that I was brought in at, they decided was important enough and they spared it from, you know, the other 15 or 20% of the company that they cut. So it wow. was, it was very humbling. Um, but that was mostly uh, doing online merchandising. I managed, managed like personal care category, um, managing uh, SKUs of, everything from diapers to toothpaste and, and, and all kinds of other stuff. Um, after a couple of years, I learned that I just really didn't care for merchandising all that much. Um, and uh, went and joined Blue Nile and, and uh, took on their affiliate program. Um, and that was, that was another really great experience. I mean, the, the company was pre-IPO, um, lots of smart people. And um, a really interesting, interesting business model. And you know, as as I kind of sit looking at where I'm at today, you know, I think part of what makes um, affiliate marketing so interesting is all the different businesses that you get to work with from both, depending on which side of the fence you're on, um, either as an affiliate or as a um, as an advertiser that everybody's got their own business and that the people who are really successful are the people who are really agile in their ability to understand what makes um, a particular business work or what the risk is that they have. And there's a tremendous amount of, of placing bets um, because there's all the advertisers in the world. And when you're an advertiser, there's all the merchants in the world and, or there's all the publishers in the world and where are you going to spend your time and who has, you know, the will or the skill, the idea, who, who has barriers in place um, and that you want to basically get on that train. And, and I just love it. Like, um, you know, my role at eBay now for the last few years, I, I haven't been directly managing the program and, and I very much badly miss it. Um, and just the day-to-day -day having those discussions and understanding how people's businesses work um, and trying to figure out ways to help them. Or in some cases, telling them they should go someplace else, that 
you know, these are the thing, these are the reasons that I don't think they'll be successful and how they would be successful. Um, and it's just, it's just incredibly rewarding. Yeah, that's great. Now, now what, what was it like to, you know, you have a unique perspective, um, having several different roles in an advertiser, but also working as a really well-known affiliate uh, at the time. And, and that's where uh, we met. I remember one of the best ski trips I've, I've had uh, and walking into one, one heck of a party uh, when I showed up in, uh, I think, Bend, Oregon. Uh, it's a, it a, uh, a great time, had a great, uh, great trip. But that, that had to give you a different perspective at DBG. With Blue Nile, um, you know, my time there, I did a lot of work in, in cleaning up their program and ensuring that the partners that we had were added value. And you realize that the, the jewelry and diamond business is, is just not a super dynamic business. And when I started to get to know some of my publishers more, I thought, well, these guys have very dynamic businesses and, uh, and I'd love to get involved there. So to your point, I, I took a, a job at the time company called DBG Loyalty, um, who was managing loyalty shopping sites. Um, and again, super, super fascinating to understand how that loyalty business model works um, or doesn't work. Um, a lot of how you position the value proposition that you're bringing to merchants, a lot of trying to help merchants understand um, the value that you bring, working through debunking um, uh, misgivings. Um, you know, to this day, um, eBay works with loyalty programs, and we don't pay a lot for those loyalty programs because the incrementality and value of them are not super high. But um, you know, I always believe that there's there's no such thing as bad traffic. Um, you know, traffic just all has a price, and if you can price it right, you know, why would you ever turn away traffic from from your website? So. Um, that was super, super exciting. And I stayed there for seven years building that, that business up uh, with Mitch Merrill. Uh, rest in peace, Mitch. And, I miss uh, Mitch. I miss I know, Mitch. I know. I miss him every day. Um, and, and that was just great. You know, we went from 11 people to, I think, about 40 people over those years. And, um, you know, work from home just... I, re I really relished uh, having a small remote team. Um, and, and again, you know, to me being a publisher, especially working with lots and lots of, of merchants or advertisers is getting to understand what makes all these businesses tick. It's just like, it's like crack, like, you know, to, to spend time with, with, you know, all the, the, the biggest folks in the country and learn, What's important to them is it's a masterclass in retail business. And um, I get that there's a particular, um, you know, I got access to a lot of that because of the size of our, our business and not every affiliate gets that. But, you know, I think it's a missed opportunity, regardless of your size, if you're not going to that affiliate manager and asking them, you know, what what's important to you? What do you need out of me? What makes me valuable? Um, why why does your business different than your competitor's business? And how do I leverage that to help sell more of your stuff? Um, and it was it was just fantastic. I it, I just I really miss it. Um, 
So from that point forward, I, you know, that, that business, BBG, um, it had been seven years and, and it felt like it was kind of time to go do something else. And it happened to be that um, eBay was moving their performance marketing team uh, from San Jose up to Seattle. And Brian Marcus, who had been at the Google Affiliate Network, called yep, me up. I remember Brian. Yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's actually VP of marketing at Tune now. Um, oh, I didn't know that. I thought, it, yeah. yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, they've got their own their own platform, of course. Um, so Brian asked me if I'd be willing to come work with them. And I never thought about working for eBay. I had zero affinity to eBay. And it just seemed like the right time and the right opportunity. So that was eight years ago. And uh, and through that time, um, I led the, the eBay Partner Network program for, for a couple of years. Um, and then most recently, uh, I moved into a chief of staff role for the last couple of years for our growth marketing organization, which earlier this year was was um, brought together with a larger global marketing organization. And um, and it's, it's been a super, super great opportunity to learn so much about um, CRM, about you know, it's it's a massive company, and we have a ton of stakeholders everywhere. Um, so it's been a, a fantastic experience, um, just something different every day. And uh, just a couple of months ago, I um, took on a role managing all performance marketing for eBay. So for the most part, that's wow. uh, product listing ads, text ads, paid social, display, affiliate some influencer and a few other odds and ends. That's fantastic. I, uh, and I'm honored to have you on the podcast and uh, also proud to say I knew you when, uh, <laughs> way, way back when. I, I, was, I was looking over, uh, you know, and you know, you know people for so long and you rarely actually looked at their, you know, look at their LinkedIn profile. Yeah. I was checking it out as I was writing some questions down and I was like, dang, you are a big dog. I, uh, I'm honored to have you. It, and it is like, congrats. You know, I, I, you've always been a hard worker, always phenomenal to work with. Uh, and, you know, one of the, I think the the smartest in our, our space. Uh, and it's no doubt you've succeeded, you know, uh, so well and at such a, uh, a big and impactful uh, organization. You have, you know, right now, things, you know, it's pretty challenging. Uh, we were talking this morning about revising our annual plans for our clients and just going to something quarterly because who knows what's going to happen in, yeah. in a year. John, how are you leading your team through at your teams through this turbulence right now? What are the uh, keys to be, you know, that, that you're finding, you know, uh, foundational and vital uh, during this, you know, turbulence? Yeah, I mean it's 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 been quite a year, um, and and I'll, I guess I'll kind of break it into two pieces. One one on just the business and and more you know financial side, and then the second on just you know how people are doing and ways of working. So the first side, um, you know, not to be too dark about it, but I mean COVID has been outstanding for eBay's business, unfortunately. Um, you know, the last couple of years, eBay has not been growing. Um, last year, we contracted, particularly in Q4, and we had very, very um, 
limited uh, plans for this year as far as, as what our ambition was. And um, we, we released our Q2 numbers a few weeks ago, and I don't remember exactly what we were up, but it was, it was over 30% year over year. And you know, for a company that's been middling in the low single digits for the last several years, um, it's a massive, massive change. Um, and it's good and bad. The, the two other factors, though, that have actually been more significant is, you know, I mentioned that we, we changed organizations and, and got a new leader at the beginning of the year, uh, Susie Deering, who's our CMO, who's fantastic. Um, been very, very lucky and happy working, working with her, um, but just a very different leader than our, our prior leader. And then we got a new CEO on top of it in April. Um, wow. so those, those have actually been, um, much bigger changes to, to try to deal with. And, um, you know, it's, it's all positive, but again, there's a, there's a, a change management piece around, you know, a new leader coming in, what their expectations are. And it's in this case, it's punctuated by, by COVID and that, you know, my new CEO, Jamie Iannone, he doesn't, he doesn't know it, a, a, a zero growth eBay, right? He, he walked in the door and we were growing 30%. So, wow, yeah. you know, all, all of the, all of the um, limiting factors, right? All the, the, the reasons that people do things or don't do things, suddenly they don't matter anymore because he doesn't, he doesn't, um, it doesn't um, mean anything to it. And so, um, you know, my biggest challenge now is um, on the business side, you know, we're starting our, our planning for next year. And you're right, like the financial plan for next year and what we go tell the street is incredibly difficult. And you could argue that there's, you know, anybody putting out a, a number is just guessing, but you know, we know, we know where the business is at today and, you know, it's a global business. So we can see some of the trends in Germany or other places that started opening a little bit earlier and try to get a sense of, um, you know, how much of the online growth is going to stick. We know it's not going to be, you know, the peak of late March, early, early April, but it's not going back to what it was. And I think, you know, where it lands for different businesses or, um, you know, if I'm an optimist, it's going to depend on how well all those customers' experiences were, um, who started shopping at a lot of a lot of sites um, for the first time, and do do they return? All I know is the lapping is going to come in in uh, March. So that's that's I tell my team that we've got what is that like seven months to get it figured out because. Suddenly, when you hit that lapping, we're not going to have the same growth rates, and it's going to be uh, yeah people asking tough questions again. Yeah, and you mentioned change management. We talked about that on our prep call for for our listeners who may be unfamiliar with that concept. Can you can you you know briefly tell us what that is? And yeah, everything's everything's changing so fast. Um, what are the keys you know to to help people through that change? And it sounds like, you know, you've, you've been practiced at doing that up the chain and also down. 
Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. I, I was, I actually had the last two weeks off on PTO. And, and so coming back today, um, thinking about, you know, where, where my organization is at and, and how people are, you know, the things they're saying and how they're responding and have I provided enough, um, have I provided enough direction and, and grounding so that people can, can make the, those changes. And, um, you know, I, I think anybody who's been in these business for a while knows that change happens all the time. And there's a question of how you go from yesterday to tomorrow. And um, it can be stuff that's as simple as Google is no longer uh, charging for PLA ads and anybody can come in. And what does that mean? for how we bid and spend and what products we, we send and what does that mean for uh, our feeds product that we send to Google? What does it mean for how we talk to our global stakeholders about how it's going to impact their business? How do I start working differently with my SEO team because this is something new? And trying to, trying to create a map basically from current state to an end state and the most important part of that is having some vision about what that end state looks like. And, you know, I'll be completely frank, like where I'm falling down right now in my own job is being able to articulate really clearly and simply um, what I want next year to look like. And, and to be frank, a lot of it's because of so much ambiguity to your point with, um, you know, what's business going to look like? Um, I've got leadership changes, um, and so I'm guessing a little bit. But boy, you really see it when you're not taking those steps and you're not providing that map to people of this is what it looks like, and this is what it looks like when we're there. And you know, along the way, if it starts not looking like it, you've got to stop and tell everybody, "Hey, we're not we're not getting there." these are the places that we need to to change the way that our processes work or how we're talking to each other um, so that we actually reach that endpoint. I don't think it's any, it's probably not that much different than, than building software or doing a lot of other things, right? Like you can, you can build all kinds of stuff, but it's going to take you a long time if there's not a very crisp set of um, directions Mm-hmm. And you don't have the agreement up front about where you're trying to get to and what the end state looks like. Um, so it's 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 um, every year I feel like I think to myself things can't be nearly as ambiguous as they were last year. <laughs> and and, I, and I'll tell you, 2021's worse than this year. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'll I'll go find some other something else to do. Well, you think we, we've been through several recessions. We've been through a dot-com uh, bubble, and I was in Seattle at the same time uh, where, you know, our uh, the uh, dot-com parties turned to pink slip parties, uh, and, and now we've been through this. So I think, you know, after this, it all should be fairly simple. I was talking to my wife uh, as we were planning out our three-year plan in January, uh, and she asked, you know, what kind of things do you think would derail this? And I'm like, you know what? the only thing that really would do that is something globally where people don't shop like a pandemic or something. (laughs) So I apologize to everyone out there. I said that in January, I had no idea the effects it would have, but one thing you mentioned was 
you can start to tell when you haven't are clearly or if whether you don't you haven't provided the map you don't have a clear vision or you haven't clearly articulated that what does that look like when when you know uh a leader falls down in that is it uh do you see people leave is it anxiety and stress what's that how how are how can you tell what's the reminder that like oh i I have to get back to this change management plan and, and see which one of these i haven't really hit on it's honestly it's usually an email i'll read or i'll be sitting in a meeting and i'll hear somebody say something and it'll strike me as that's not you know that person's statement is anchored in the past and you know for whatever reason you know they haven't gotten the message and so you know it's not like i'm going to stop there and say hey you you didn't get the message but I'll, it'll make me come back and think you know what what do i need to put out there you know i my team isn't you know it's not massive but i've got I've got probably a hundred plus people um, in different parts of the world. And so, you know, I, I try to to write something out at least every other week um, in an email and I, I post stuff on Slack and, and try to keep open lines, but, you know, I'll, I'll keep that as a note so that, you know, when I'm going back out and trying to help give people more of that vision and guidance um, to address it. And, um, to me, it it all has to happen in the day to day, and you know I can shout all day about this is what we're going to be and these are the things we're going to do, and I can hope that you know my leaders that report to me take that down two levels down from there. I have no idea what's going on, um, and it's it's literally just the communications that I see or the questions that are asked. Um, and, and I'll know that I just, it's just not there. We're not all rolling the same way yet. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. I wrote down, you know, looking for old thinking, you know, the comment was anchored in the past. Now you said you, you write up something. Is that you know, every few weeks? Cause you have your team. Uh, I assume you guys are all kind of working remote right now, right? Yeah. So, so my team is a lot of us are based in Seattle. Um, there's a, a team that's in Shanghai, and then I've got a, a decent group in Zurich, and then a smattering of people between you know, like London and Berlin and Sydney and some other locations, um, which is a whole other podcast about managing global teams. But I, I um, can't imagine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no. I so I send out uh, an email every other Friday. And it'll just be a combination of just loose thoughts and then trying to reiterate on some things. I'll call out some things that I saw in the week that I was really proud of. And then I actually have my, um, my leadership team. I've got six, six people on my leadership team, maybe seven. Um, and, and they take turns writing the off week. And, oh, okay. And, That's great. Yeah. And those are the ones I love, right? Because, um, one, it makes you really appreciate your team and how capable people are. Um, and that it's, you know, I'm not doing everything. In fact, you know, I don't do that much. A lot of times, um, you know, it's everybody under me that's doing all the work. And so having their voices come through 
um, seeing them pick up on a lot of that direction and vision and reiterate it and um, kind of use some of that language again to reinforce it is it's just fantastic. So um, it can't just be me telling everybody what to do. Um, yeah. So I try to make sure that, you know, we've got a number of voices in the room, um, particularly that people can reach up and, and talk to. You know, I probably do 18 to 20 one-on-ones every week. Um, but I can't, I can't do them all. So. Wow. 18 to 20. I used to struggle with, uh, with eight. Uh, so that, that is awesome. Now you talked about buy-in to it. You kind of mentioned that really quickly in the past, you know, I've run JEB now for 16 years and we have had multiple changes uh, go on from new products and services to leaders and uh, team members and, and direction verticals and things like that. And one thing that I've, uh, I've said is, you know, when we make the change, not everyone makes the turn. And so how do you get the buy-in on, on these change things? Like what have you found to be successful uh, to to uh, limit uh, negative impact on the change, because uh, because buy-in is super important, right? Uh, what have you found that is successful? Yeah, it's a great question, Jamie, and I think it depends on the degree of the change. Um, and and for simplicity, I'll say, you know, on one side there is the the change in strategy, and then there is more changes around people and culture. And, and they're different. And, and the ones around people and culture, they just happen because to your point, you know, people come and go, um, you know, in some ways, when you get a group of people that are together for a long period of time, it almost makes it harder because, you know, there's so much tied up into individuals and their roles and identities on the team. And, um, you know, somebody leaves and it feels like there's a hole. And then a couple more people leave and it's like the world is going to end. Um, and on the opposite side, like, you know, if you have people ro- rolling in and out every couple of years, it, it makes it tough too. because it never feels like anything is still, everything is always moving. Um, so, you know, to me, obviously um, in your case, like, you know, having that leader who is consistent, is steady, um, hires well when people see somebody leaves and somebody comes in that that's confident and, and can, can take it on um, is certainly reassuring, but it's also letting the culture change a little bit and um, letting people participate and put their themselves into it. And, you know, it's, it, it just happens in cycles. And I think about, you know, the team that we brought together for eBay Partner Network eight years ago. And, you know, there's a good chunk of that team still together. People have cycled on out. And and just my, the leadership team I'm on now is has cycled a little bit. And there's that sense of loss. Um, but when a new voice comes in, like, how do you get that, that new person active and contributing and, uh, putting a mark on things so that people feel like there's somebody um, who's active and is bringing something, not to fill that hole, but just something else. Um, the the strategy part, I think, is is in some ways harder because you have to work so hard 
to get people believing in what you're doing. And, you know, people either walk into a new job and they're either, you know, eyes closed, just excited, and you can tell them anything and they're going to go after it. Um, or they're going to come in and they're going to kind of sense about what's going on. And after a period of weeks or months, they're going to say this place either is full of it or I really believe in what's going on here. And then suddenly, you know, six months later, you know, you'll say, Hey, we're going to, we're going to change what we're doing. We're going to, this is what's good now. It's like, well, wait a second. You just told me that this is what was good. And um, it's something that at eBay in particular, you know, where, you know, I mentioned the businesses has had difficult time for, for several years. There's been a number of changes in strategies um, and it, it's made it really, really hard for people to remember um, you know, why they come into work and, and what makes eBay special. And fortunately, you know, eBay as, as a brand um, and as a community is so strong that you know, people love working at eBay. It feels like a good place to work that's doing good things for lots of people. And um, that's why people come and stay at eBay. But you know, how we're going to be successful um, has changed two or three times in the eight years that I've, I've been here and now we've got a new CEO and we're pulling it together again. So it's um, sometimes it gets really real. Like, you know, app downloads are important now. It's like, well, you said app downloads weren't important three months ago. New CEO says app downloads are important. So we're going to have to suspend all of the frameworks that we've built and, uh, and go get this one. And it, I mean, it can be exhausting. Um, but it's, it, it's the follow through on that stuff. That is why people will start to believe. Cause if you just tell them it'll be different and they don't see it and feel it and they don't, they don't, you don't take them along for the ride, then people don't buy in and people stay anchored in the past. That is a great point. The follow through. That is fantastic. One of the things I love about this podcast is I get to ask the questions that, I want the answers to. So this is often I've taken lots of notes. Um, one of the things that that the the amount that the speed of change just in the digital marketplace, digital marketing, e-commerce since you and I started. Yeah. You know, we, we've had several complete like rollovers of the industry. Uh, you know, I don't know how many times a new player came in and changed everything that we did. And I've had employees over those 16 years that they they were a players but they really struggled with going 100 miles an hour one direction for very good reasons and then with new information a new player in the space something macro changed and we'd have to pivot and and go 180 degrees in the other way and after two or three of those uh, they really struggled so that that's been something that i've seen is just built into some people where that change is maybe not something they crave but they're also not, uh, you know, it's not as scary for, as it is for some. Yeah, it's um, it's terrible that as you get older, um, the game starts slowing down a little bit, right? Like, you know, things that things that really bothered me 15, 20 years ago, like I, it's it's just not a big deal anymore. And yeah, even in the last five years, stuff, you know, the the rate of change and you know, having to throw away something that I had worked for three months on because 
things changed. Um, that's really hard. Like, and, and you work so hard to understand the, the levers of, of a business or, you know, what works and what doesn't work. And then you come in to work one day and it's different now. And, you know, how quickly can you, can you forget and, and let go of whatever those limiting beliefs are or how you thought things would work? Cause they're not like that anymore. And, um, I mean, COVID has been just the ultimate where. Yes, sir. <laughs> I, I just, you know, from a, from purely from a business standpoint, like people are doing things that they weren't doing and they might not ever do again. And you kind of sit there and say, do I actually build out now a whole new operating infrastructure to support this, even though it could be gone in six months? It, it hasn't been gone in six months. Um, but, you know, when we were trying to manage people overcharging for hand sanitizer and mm-hmm. diapers, and to- thank you, and toilet paper, like... You know, that's not something that we needed to deal with all the time. So we needed to figure it out. And, you know, watching how people would react to, you know, what's the right thing to do. And I get that you have these campaigns in place. I get that you have your goal. But guess what? The the state of California is going to sue us if we keep showing $100 toilet paper on Google. Like, you got to take it down. I don't, I don't know what it's going to take to do that, but go figure it out and do it. Um, knowing that six, six weeks later, that toilet paper is going to need to be back up and you're going to have to go, you know, undo whatever it is that you did. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, I think the, you know, I, I remember super clearly when I was at drugstore.com and I, I was responsible for all the electric shavers and uh, people buy a lot of electric shavers during the holidays as gifts. And you spend months and months putting together your, your merchandise plan and your pricing plan. And you go launch it. And two days after we had launched our holiday plans in November, Amazon had undercut us by 10 bucks or whatever on the shaver. Mm. And my, my boss is like, you got to lower the price of that shaver. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I have this plan. I'm executing this <laughs> fantastic plan right now. Um, that's going to that's gonna blow up my plan. And, and uh, but that's just, you know, I'd spent five, six months working on that. And guess what? On that day, it didn't matter because something happened outside of my control and I just needed to react to it. Um, yeah. And it's, it can be really frustrating. I remember putting together very sophisticated uh, uh, forecasts for uh, the digital marketing channels at Coldwater Creek and walking into my boss and she, you know, had one piece of information that I didn't have and changed it dramatically. And, and that happened almost every time. And oh, yeah. as a like 22 year old or 24 year old, I struggled greatly with, I just spent five days yeah. Coming up with a daily forecast that involves weather patterns and you know, That's just right. as detailed as you could get, and you're going to use your gut. And you know she was right almost every single time, uh, and so that that change continues uh, to be a problem. And I think of uh, two things. One, I think Mike Tyson said, "Everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face." That's right. So you got to be ready to adapt. But I I had a coach for a long time 
uh, his uh, website's clearandopen.com, but this concept of being clear with, uh, in this case, with like your strategic vision, but especially right now, holding it loosely, but, yeah. but being clear about it, but, but not holding onto it so tightly that when you get new information, you're going to hold on to that plan yeah. because you know, you, like you said, you spent six months working on it instead of there's new information we got this morning and it changes everything. So being open to, um, open to receiving new information, discovering new things, and then changing that and then being clear again with that. And I think right now, you know, that's one thing we're working on is, you know, with our clients and being really clear with what we're doing, but, uh, open to that changing dramatically, um, and, and we've had inventory issues with clients, uh, the travel space, you know, just rocked, uh, and others doing so well that, you know, they can't keep things stocked. Um, so that's awesome. Thank you so much. Let's dive into some affiliate stuff. So right. you've been in the industry since the beginning, uh, and you've seen everything. What do you think the biggest changes over that period of time in, in this particular sector? Um, you know, it's... This is this is going to sound really pessimistic, but the, the the industry felt almost magical, where you know, and again, many years ago, where every year or multiple times a year, somebody would come out of nowhere with this business, and it would just be amazing, and um, they would be the bell of the ball, and whatever value they were bringing um, was new and exciting and it pushed, it pushed innovation. Right. And um, there's certainly periods of, of up and down. And um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if the space has that magic still. And I think there's a couple of reasons why one is because everything is so predicated on data. And when you look at how companies are successful with their marketing today, it's all based on how much data do you have and how are you using that data? Mm -hmm. Um, And affiliates in a lot of cases, particularly if they're not large and sophisticated, they don't have the data. Or if they have the data, it's not in a format that makes it super useful. And when I think about you know, the two, the two big affiliate acquisitions in the last, I don't know how long it's been now, a couple of years um, that I saw. One was um, Wikibuy was purchased mm-hmm. by Capital One. And you're talking about, a, I won't call it just a toolbar because it's more than that, but they, they are all about data. And really, one, really great guys. Um, they deserve it as much as anybody, um, but super smart. And, you know, Capital One didn't buy that business for loyalty shopping. They bought it for data. And um, the second one is Honey, which um, I will just call a toolbar. Um, but they sold, they sold themselves for $4 billion to, uh, to PayPal, right? Like um, yeah. PayPal doesn't need a coupon and a loyalty toolbar. But, you know, when you can get millions of people's uh, shopping behaviors and they're giving it to you. Um, it's worth $4 billion apparently. Um, and, you know, working with, with companies like that, um, 
you know, as a, as a advertiser, they were able to do the sort of targeting, uh, block listing, you know, all the sorts of things that made my dollars go farther and they had incredible reach. And, um, I don't know, you know, before that, I'd say that some of the biggest stuff that happened was Google's change of product listing ads uh, and, and shopping comparison policies in Europe, where basically it opened a, a whole new world of um, paid search arbitrage that hadn't existed before. It was huge. Um, so there's, you know, it feels like there's been these, these boosts that come through, but, you know, you, you would always, it was always a little bit of gambling where, you know, you have your, your set of partners and you know, one or two of them are going to go away. You're not mm-hmm. sure which ones, but they're either going to get acquired and shut down or, you know, they're going to go surfing or whatever. And then you're just <laughs> hoping that somebody shows up and every year somebody would show up and it's like, yeah, this, is brand new. this is amazing. It just, you know, the, the, the glass just keeps refilling itself. Um, but I don't know what's filling it now. And, you know, we have, at eBay, we have a, a great advertiser, or sorry, great publishers, and and we have a lot that are somewhat specific to eBay because of the nature of the business. So, I mean, I, I can't complain about that, but I, I don't see that. I don't know who's filling the glass next, and I haven't seen it coming through. And... Um, I would, I hope that I'm not the only one <laughs> for my, for my own sake, but, um, you know, I, I'm pushing the teams hard on, um, people thought it would be influencer. Well, it's, it's not influencer, um, influencers, its own thing, but it's, it's not performance marketing as, as hard as we try to make it. Um, that hasn't really come to fruition in a, in a meaningful way. I know there's some, some networks out there that would argue with me about it, but um, yeah, no, I don't. I don't know who's who's got it. Do, do you think that's a, a natural maturation? Where, um, you know, I wonder if someone who started five years ago would would think it's magical now. <laughs> Maybe, <laughs> as opposed to you and I have been here forever, and 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 you. Know, do, but do you think that's a natural maturation of the channel? Because uh, you know, how many exciting things, you know, or groundbreaking things happen in, in other channels realistically, or do you think it's a move to data or just something greater that maybe you're more concerned about? Um, I'll, I'll say this, right? Like in some ways, you know, I, I'm trying to, in the position I have today, step back and, and try not to look at the world as a series of channels. And for me, there's, a, there's, there's, various components of our online marketing spend at eBay and um, affiliate is one, but all affiliate is, is a CPA model. And all you really have to do, Brian Marcus uh, is out there somewhere is all you have to do is you have to track, you have to report and you have to pay. That's how you run a good affiliate program. Um, And so there's infrastructure to do that, but, you know, you can put anything on that platform, um, but it's all about a conversion. And for, you know, things like um, Google Google ads, shopping ads, or, you know, Facebook ads, like there's a bidding component and 
you know, when you get into channels like display or maybe some mid funnel stuff for social, there's a creative component. Like it's a, it's a series of, of elements between content and pricing and, you know, a little bit of operations behind it and everything else is just distribution. So, you know, like anything could be an affiliate as long as somebody is willing to be paid a cost per action. Um, you know, most platforms can do CPC or CPM or, or whatever on them, but you know, that's the world moved away from that a long time ago. And, and I don't see it coming back anytime soon. Um, but, but that's the way I challenge my team is forget about your channel and what you think that is, you know, where are the, where's the distribution anywhere online that you have to pay money to show up that we want to be because those are the customers we want to talk to or potential customers because we have a belief that we can meet their needs, whether they know it or not. And then what does it cost to be there both in, in media costs and infrastructure and capabilities to do it and do it well. And that's how we'll figure out where to spend our money next. Um, so that's exciting to me. Yeah. It's a great, well, it's a great model to use. Start with the audience, where are they at and how do you participate there? Um, We've we've done some pretty crazy things over the the years that many wouldn't consider traditional affiliate marketing, but the audience was there. We were able to work out a financial arrangement. We were able to track it. And it was successful. You know, one of the the reasons I was excited to to get you on the podcast is is because of your position uh, now and for for a while um, as a senior director, global marketing, you know, manager of all the channels, and you've you've uh, you've managed large uh, and successful affiliate programs. Um, so you know the channel well. You've been with one of the largest uh, brands uh, in the space. Um, you've operated in multiple capacities. So you know, and now you manage all the other channels as well. And so you have this this mix and can kind of talk to us about one of the things that I think is missing that affiliates uh, don't, uh, you know, publishers don't understand and maybe affiliate managers also don't understand is how the channel is viewed from a director and a C-level uh, perspective. Uh, so talk to me about how, um, how the decision makers view the affiliate channel and maybe if that's changed over time, but like right now, how are they viewing the channel? So I, I think, you know, the, the executives and C-level folks that I work with, um, they either have their own preconceived notions from experiences they've had and it's it's very tough, if not impossible, to invalidate them because those are their experiences. And the, the best I feel like I can do is explain to them, you know, what measures we have in place to ensure that, um, you know, fraud fraud happens as little as possible. Um, the other side of it, though, honestly, is just radical transparency. And um, it can be very painful trying to explain to people three levels up what it is that this affiliate does for their business and how they add value. Um, but it, and you have to do it over and over and over again, but helping them understand um, where in the purchase consideration funnel, each of these partners is providing value. Um, how we know uh, the incremental value of them through testing that we do, how um, they can support a certain part of the business in a unique way. Um, 
catering to the silly questions of why aren't we on this website that um, I go to every week. I never see uh, our business on there. And you know what? You can't say, well, you're not everybody and you follow through on it. So it's, it's a lot of PR. Um, and it's just, it's incredibly complex. Both the, the nature of it in its distributed manner is complex. The way you pay for it is simple, but ends up being very complex as far as profitability. And um, it's funny, something like, like paid search is terribly more complicated, um, but it's so much easier for them to see it and understand what it is. True. Um, that it gets it gets more of a, it and, and you know it's algorithms so you can you can pull levers back and forth and you can see the change um, and you can't just jerk around publishers pricing all the time um, one because it makes people mad and two because they're not elastic algorithms right you don't see the change yeah all the time very quickly no, that's that's great. I like that term, radical transparency, and then the comment about it's a lot of it's a lot of PR. Um, what do the C level execs need from the channel? Like, uh, is it is it incrementality? You know, is it um, is it a certain ROAS and ROI, or is it just security? Like, if in a perfect world we could provide as a channel, it would be letting them know that this is incremental in some, I don't know, magical way? Well, I, I mean, the easy answer is it's all of those things, but the, I think it depends on the company and it depends on the maturity of the business. And, you know, eBay is a 25 year old internet company, right? Like um, yeah. we have almost 200 million active users, let alone the other hundreds of millions of people who have eBay accounts, but aren't active. So you know, incrementality for us is a big deal because, you know, the vast majority of our traffic is is direct type-in. Um, if you were upstart brand, like, who cares? But it's all incremental. It's all new. Yeah. Um, you know, I probably care a lot more about ROAS because I don't have a whole bunch of money um, and I have to get profitable on this stuff quickly. Otherwise, I'm going to run out of money and be handing out pink slips. So, I, I think it just it just varies, but it's important I think to get aligned with with leadership and establish um, what's most important because there is give and take between all of it. Awesome. One last question for you, John. So, t- how do you make budgetary decisions across? You know, so you have um, you know all digital channels. How do you decide uh, where to spend the money and how does the affiliate fit into that equation? I know a lot of times when we're working with affiliates and, and I worked in-house, so I've got a good understanding of how the, the places I worked in-house did it. Uh, but there's sort of a, a lack of understanding confusion on how that is done uh, from like the publisher perspective and sometimes even the network perspective. So what are the criteria? How do you figure out where you, sp- how you spread that around, where you spread it, when you send it to the affiliate? Yeah. Um, it's, it's a very fair and, and very difficult question. So, um, again, I think, you know, for, for where I'm at at eBay, it comes back to what's my most efficient spend. And if I have a dollar to spend, where am I going to put it next? And part of that is ensuring that the affiliate program is competitively priced and um, 
and when I say competitively priced, not just against actual competitors, but against other channels. Like there needs to be actually a tough decision. Um, at the same time, you know, our leadership understands that you can go shut off Google tomorrow and turn it back on the next week and it won't be mad at you. You know, there might be some funny, some funny algorithmic stuff to deal with, but um, you know, it's not going to hate you forever and you're not going to, you know, make it miss its mortgage payment. So yeah. um, There's some of that. I will not follow you into a bathroom at an event in New York and ask you why you took away their partnership, uh, which totally happened after uh, I'm sure a it did share event. <laughs> I'm sure it did. Um, so so yeah, it's it's you know we go in we go in with basically an idea of a flat budget, and um, we basically come out and say where do we think we can provide growth next year, and and you know what's the what's the efficiency of that growth so that our stakeholders understand what they're getting for it. And we have plans across all the channels and we just put the budgets there. And then as the weeks and months go on, we will shift money around. The key really is trying to build some flexibility. And I mean, we could do a whole other session on managing head torso and tail of an affiliate program, but um, you know, there's, there's always a handful of partners who are your biggest partners and, you know, we've had to build really good relationships with those partners to understand, you know, hey, um, to, to the point earlier when we were talking, like stuff happens. And if stuff happens, like this is what this is the steps we would take. And um, you just need to know that. And I mean, a great example is suddenly earlier in Q1, all of our CPCs for our paid search business just went through the, the bottom. Like everybody pulled out of paid search and suddenly I should put every dollar I have in paid search. Um, and by the way, all of our, all of our organic traffic is through the roof and, you know, now we're paying affiliates to send us traffic that we might not need. That's a very difficult position. Um, because, you know, what's the right thing to do for, our business, for our shareholders, for for our affiliates, and for our customers, and how do you balance all of that so that we're not? I don't want to put my affiliates out of business when there's a global pandemic. Yeah. Um, but I also can't pay people for for services that we don't need, uh, particularly when there's an alternative that's cheaper, significantly cheaper. Um, and so those are, you know, if you're if you're one of our uh, publishers listening, uh, you might have a, had a variety of experiences, but we literally take it publisher by publisher, depending on what the relationship looks like, what their business model looks like. Um, and hopefully that we have the kind of relationship that we can work through it. It's it's an extraordinary, extraordinary year. So. Yeah. And I really like that you said that publisher by publisher. Uh, that's one of the things we do, you know. We, uh, you know, you manage the channel as a whole, and then maybe you manage tiers uh, of affiliates as far as performance, maybe even manage them by categories. But if you're not getting down to managing them one by one, then you're really missing out on on opportunity and flexibility, like you said. Uh, But I really liked what you said, competitively priced uh, comparative to to other channels. 
Um, John, this has been uh, really an educational uh, hour for me, and I know we're a little over time, so I, I won't keep you any longer, but um, I want to thank you for uh, spending time with us today uh, and laying down some, uh, some really, uh, really great stuff that I'll share and include in the, the podcast description and the notes. Um, but thank you so much for, for joining us and, um, you know, would love to, you know, maybe sometime in the future dive into these again. And maybe when all this sort of stuff settles down, you know, we can share a, a drink next time uh, I'm in, in the Seattle area. That sounds great. It's great talking with you, Jamie. Have a good one. Well, first off, John, thank you so much for spending a little over an hour with me today. Um, I hope all our listeners, I hope you learn uh, just as much as I did. I, I still, you know, one of the best things about this podcast is I get to ask all the questions that I want help with, that I want to know. And John definitely uh, delivered today. A couple of things that stood out to me is, you know, there's no such thing as bad traffic. Uh, there's a cost to it. Can you pay it? Can you make it profitable? You combine that with something else that John said was, you know, you evaluate and work with each partner individually. So when you put those two things together, you, you know, we are, John and I are definitely aligned with how we manage programs and, and how eBay is as well. You put those two things together, you're looking at those things stoically, you know, unemotionally. Is this going to work? Is this not going to work? We did talk about why the channel uh, kind of gets a bad rap and what you can do about that. I loved his comment on radical transparency. And I think I think we're gonna maybe dive into that more in this podcast or, or we're gonna do a, uh, a blog post on radical transparency. But you can also go to our website. I did a, a presentation at CJU several years back uh, and we talked a little bit about the uh, same concept. Radical transparency, I love it, like where each partner is and how they provide value, um, how they're supporting uh, the business objectives, incrementality and all affiliates uh, and hey if you listen to this episode and you found it valuable please don't hesitate to you know, go into Apple and iTunes uh, Stitcher Spotify give us a recommendation and if you really like this episode please share it um, we would we would love that and if you would like to be a guest on this podcast I would love to have you you can email me at get help at jvcommerce.com and something we've been doing since uh, COVID happened is I have dedicated my Fridays to anyone who needs help. This is a, a challenging time that we're facing right now, full of lots of change. So one of the reasons we started this podcast to help you explore ways that you can be successful even in this environment. And you can get time uh, with me, whether it's 15 minutes, half hour, an hour, just go to calendly.com slash Jamie Birch. I would love to help you uh, with anything else. You can also email me at get help at jebcommerce.com.